Okay, our last study in the uh, series Battle for Our Emotions is a study of the topic of grief. Uh, look with me at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read two verses here, verses 3 and 4, and then uh, spend a few minutes talking about grief. Paul says here in verse number 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We all will go through difficult times. We all go through trouble. In the book of Job, the Bible says, man that is born of woman is full of sorrows and troubles. I mean, it's just life that's a part of it. So what we want to do today is we want to talk a little bit about that. We want to talk about how to handle it, the process we go through, how do we deal with it. We also are going to talk a little bit about some of the things we need to be careful of. Sorrow and grief, as you'll see in a minute, are a proper good part of life. The problem is it has a stopping point at which it has to turn from sorrow and grief into a tool we use to help other people, which is what Paul talks about right here. God will comfort us in our sorrows and our troubles and our grief. However, the verses also tell us why he does that. So that we then in turn can go and help other people who are going through similar things with the comfort we got from God when we were going through it. So part of the reason we go through these things is so that we can learn and gain tools to use to help other people. So we have to look at that. And the danger is that sorrow and grief turns into self-pity. And we crawl in this little hole of, I feel sorry for me, and I've been through so many hard things, and woe is me, and everybody just, you have, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And, and that sorrow and grief process that is good and profitable for a time never turns into a tool that we use. It then becomes a crutch of self-pity that we wallow in and use an excuse while we don't ever do anything. So that's what we don't want to happen. So as we go through this, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is and how to handle it, all right? So let's first of all look at the definition. For our purposes, and this is not an exhaustive psychological evaluation of grief, but for our purposes, the definition will be two things. Number one, sorrow. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Throughout the Bible, it is used synonymously with the word sorrow in the English translation of the Bible. Number two, grief is basically when something or someone that is valuable to us is lost, which brings about an emptiness and the need to readjust in our life. Basically, grief is something that we lose that causes us to have to change. When I was 13 years old, my 11-year-old brother Bobby died with leukemia. I lost something, someone, that was valuable to me. It brought an emptiness into my heart, but it also brought about a change. It brought about the need to adjust my life. I wasn't going to wake up tomorrow morning with my 11-year-old brother. He's gone. I've got to adjust to that. Now I have four brothers, not five, living. 
So that's the idea behind grief. That's what causes it. That's what happens. And you can take this. It can be the loss of a lot of things. The loss of a job can bring about grief and sorrow. The loss of something you were hoping to get, which was actually not the loss of a tangible thing. It was the loss of an opportunity or an expectation. Maybe you thought you were going to get that job and somebody else got it, and you know it will not come up again for about ten years. So there are all kinds of things that can happen in our life to bring about grief or sorrow. So for our purposes, as a definition, that's what we're talking about, okay? Now let's talk for just a second about grief and the believer. As a child of God, how should I confront grief? Well, first of all, Billy Graham said this, grief is a certainty. We're going to experience it. It's a fact. Everybody will experience grief in some way. Number two, Jesus grieved. Okay? I want you to look with me at a couple of passages of Scripture. And um, nah, I better not do it. I was going to have a bunch of y'all read these. But uh, let's, let's just look at them together real quick. In Matthew 26, verse 38, if you want to turn there, this is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is talking to Peter, James, and John as he's getting ready to go a little further away. And he tells them this, My soul is sorrowful, severely, deeply sorrowful, even to the point of death. Jesus grieved. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 4, I like the way the King James Version puts it. The Bible says he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In verse 4 it says, he bore our grief. As Isaiah was introducing the Messiah, he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In John eleven thirty five, the most common example of Jesus grieving. It's at the tomb of Lazarus, shortest verse in the Bible. Who knows what John eleven thirty five says? Jesus wept. He cried. Jesus knew what it was to experience sorrow. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us that we don't have a high priest who is not touched by the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. He feels what we feel. He's been there. So, grief for a believer is a certainty. It is not a sin. It's not a bad thing. It is a good part of life because even Jesus experienced it. Okay? Number three, grief is different for a believer because a believer has hope. Anytime you and I go through trials or troubles or problems, the difference between us and a non-believer is one little four-letter word, hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica about the believer, family, and friends who have died. And he says this. He says, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who have already fallen asleep, nor do I want you to sorrow as other men who have no hope. My brother is gone. Both of my parents are gone. All four of my grandparents are gone. Many of my friends are gone. And I sorrowed over that. I still sorrow sometimes. 
sometimes I'm just kind of like a wimp. You know, you watch these TV shows and, and you know, I'm, I'm a guy that I don't mind watching these, you know, girly shows of my wife, Lifetime Movie Network. Sometimes on Saturday morning, we ain't got nothing to do. My wife and I will get a cup of coffee and I'll crawl back up in the bed with my wife. And she always got Lifetime Movie Network on. And I'll sit there and I'll see some sad story. And I'll start crying like this. And I'll look over and start wiping my face real quick. Make sure my wife doesn't see me crying. Uh, but I, I get, I'm tender hearted. And sometimes I see these stories where a family has lost a loved one. And the remembrance of losing my brother or losing my mom and dad, that all comes back. And I'm going to tell you, when I lost those three people in my life, I cried like a baby. I remember coming out of the funeral home after the funeral. My father and one of my best friends was there, and he came over to say hi to me. And he's about six inches taller than I am. And I can remember sticking my head right in his chest and just crying like a baby. My dad's gone. I can't pick up the phone and call my dad anymore. I can't pick up the phone and call my mom and say, Mom, I'm really having a hard time. Can you take me shopping? I can't do that anymore. They're not here. So sorrow is a part of life. And sorrow is something that we go through. But a believer has hope. You know what? I'm going to see my brother again. I'm going to see my mom and dad again. I'm going to see my grandparents again. I'm going to see most of my friends again. I wish they were here now, but I will see them again. And by the way, if I could bring them back, they wouldn't want to come. And don't ever feel sorry for your believer, loved ones, and friends who have died and gone on to heaven. Don't feel sorry for them. I'm a little bit jealous. i got to wake up tomorrow morning and go work. i got to go pay bills. i got to fight off sinus infections. i got to go through all this stuff. I'm probably going to have to go on a diet pretty soon. They're in heaven. They don't got to go through none of that. So don't feel sorry for our loved ones in heaven. As a matter of fact, I hope that's where all of us long to be but until our job here is done we're not going there yet but we have hope we will see them again can you imagine what it's like for someone to lose their mom or dad that's not a believer and there's no hope no hope that you'll never ever ever see them again ever By the way, just a little sidebar, for those of us that have loved ones and friends like that, that ought to motivate the heck out of us to do everything we can to tell them about Jesus. To make sure we don't ever have to face that. So, sorrow is a part of life, but as a believer, we can handle it. God has given us what we need to handle it. So, how do we handle it? Let's go through the process. Now, there are three parts of the process of handling grief. Now, if you'll notice on your notes, I've given you a lot more meat on the bones than just this. And we're going to go through all of that. But I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Okay? And we are actually going to look at a story in the Bible of a man who was a believer who went through the grieving process. His name is David. And this is the story of when David... After he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, you remember Nathan the prophet came to him. And Nathan told him, basically, David, you're the guy. God knows what you did. You're caught. 
I mean, you're dead in the water. We, we know what's going on. And David repented. He said he was sorry. And Nathan told David, God has heard your heart and he has forgiven you. You will not die. However, the baby that Bathsheba is going to have, the baby is going to die. The baby will be born, but the baby is going to die. Now, again, don't feel sorry for the baby. Somebody says, well, that's not fair. That poor little guy or girl, whatever it was, we don't know. That poor baby had to die because of David's sin. Don't feel sorry for the baby. You're going to see in just a minute that baby, hallelujah. Don't worry, you're not going to die, I promise. Um, that baby came into the world. You're as cute as you can be, by the way. Um, that baby came into the world, said, how you doing? And went straight back home. Hey, don't feel sorry for that baby. That baby is in heaven. He, he didn't have to stay here but a week. Man, that ain't a bad deal. He got to go back. His job took a week. Mine so far has taken 52 years, and it hadn't all been fun. However, David went through the grieving process. He had to go through sorrow because of that. So let's look and see what happened. Look with me, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15. First of all, he had to go through the actual loss. Remember, sorrow or grief is brought about primarily when someone or something we love or is valuable to us, is lost. So look at it, verse 15. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood behind him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, after a week, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. The actual loss, it's a reality. Notice a couple of things with me about this loss. Number one, there was sorrow associated with it. David was going through some severe sorrow. Matter of fact, notice this. Sometimes the grieving process has two parts. We grieve during the anticipation period of the loss, and then we grieve again after the actual loss. Jesus was like that. However, Jesus grieved prior to his crucifixion. Of course, after it was over, he didn't grieve at all. We did. The people who loved him did until he rose again three days later. But Jesus went through it prior. David went through grief before the child ever died. Then after the child died, there was probably a momentary time of grief but then he had to get over it. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But there was sorrow acquainted with it. The Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow. If Jesus had to go through it, so will we. Number two, there was pain associated with that loss. It hurt. And this was his baby. He was hurting. And by the way, imagine this. Imagine the mental pain that David must have gone through knowing 
The reason that baby is going through seven days of illness is because of me. It's my fault. That's exactly what Nathan told me. Number three, this is the positive side. There was sorrow, there was pain, but notice, there was a focus on God. You know what? This is the difference between a believer and a non-believer. When sorrow and pain and grief hits the life of a non-believer, they blame God. When a believer goes through this, they focus on God. So, as a believer, when I go through pain and sorrow and difficulty, if I start blaming God, who am I acting like? An unbeliever. Notice what David did. The Bible says in verse 16, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. David didn't blame God. David focused on God because he knew, as you'll see in a minute, God was the only hope he had. And if God wanted to, God could heal that child. So David didn't turn on God. He turned to God. And that's what we need to do. Number four, I want you to notice the attempt that was made to comfort him when he was going through this grief. The Bible says in verse 17, the elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused. And he would not eat any food with them. Have you ever gone to the funeral of a loved one that had died um, of one of your friends? You know, you had a friend, they had a loved one that had died, maybe a parent or a, a sibling, someone close to them. You went to the funeral home and you went up to try and talk to them and comfort them. Now think about it. How many of you have ever gone to that situation and wondered, what do I say? Maybe you didn't know what to say. How many of you ever went up and you went to your friend and said, we're praying for you, and they just kind of looked at you with this blank stare and said, thank you? Almost as if to say, I don't care that you're here. I can't even hardly recognize that you're here. It's almost as if they're just cold. That's normal. Don't be upset. Don't think they don't love you and they're not still your friend. They're going through severe grief. This happens when we go through grief. Notice what the elders of the house did for David. They went to David and tried to get him up and he refused. Leave me alone. Get away from me. Don't talk to me. He, they wanted him to eat. He said, I don't want to eat. I'm not going to eat with you right now. He wanted nothing to do with them. He was grieving. It happens. Don't, don't get mad at your friends. Don't, turn, don't think there's something wrong with them or they're terrible. The truth of the matter is they really do need you. And just the fact that you were there will eventually come back to be a part of their comfort. And you're going to see that in just a minute with David. Okay? So, there are four things associated with the actual loss. There's sorrow, there's pain, there needs to be a focus on God, and then there will be attempts to comfort you, but most of them won't work during the grieving process. Then number two, there's the acceptance of the loss. Look at verse 19. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotion, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. Now, notice what happened when David actually acknowledged the fact and accepted the fact that the baby was gone. 
Number one, he adjusted to it personally. Now, you've got to remember, for seven days, David has been fasting, praying, not eating, not taking baths probably, weeping, crying. His face was probably swollen. I mean, he probably looked awful. The moment he knew the baby was gone, notice what he did. He got up, washed himself, put on lotion, and got dressed. Now, in just a minute, you're going to see, just like you're thinking right now, that's not grieving. No, this is not grieving. The grieving's over. This is moving on. And even his own people thought he was nuts. They thought something was wrong with him. You're going to see that in just a minute. But first of all, he had to adjust himself personally. You've got to wash your face and get up. We've got to go on. Number two, he acknowledged the Lord. The Bible says after he did all this, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. The first place he went after he accepted the fact, I've lost my brother, I've lost my mom and dad, I've lost my friend, I've lost that job opportunity, there's nothing I can do about it, i got to go on. The first thing he did was he went to the house of the Lord and he worshipped. God, I'm here because I want you to know, I don't blame you, I'm not mad, I've got some questions. And I'm still hurting. I need your help. You are my help. You are my comfort. I trust you. You are in control of my life. You are my God. You are my Father. I need you. And that's why I'm here. For seven days he asked God to make the baby well. Did God make the baby well? No. David didn't get mad because God didn't give him what he wanted. You know, a lot of people do today, when they're going through these difficulties, they pray and they pray for God to do what they want Him to do. And when God doesn't do what we want Him to do, then we get mad at God and we run off and pout like a bunch of little kids. I ain't going to church no more. I'm not praying no more. I'm not reading my Bible no more. How would a God, He's really God, why didn't He give me what I want? You know how foolish that really sounds? I'm living in a world run by the devil who wants to destroy my life. The only hope I got is God. God, I don't need you. I'm going to face life by myself. I can handle the devil all by myself. Life will be better. Oh, by the way, I won't go through any more of these problems if I don't have you, God. You know how foolish that sounds? You know what Satan's doing? <laughs> I've got them. Now they're mine. Next time it'll be you, not your friends. Satan's pretty smart. David didn't do that. David went straight to the house of the Lord and said, God, I need you now as much as I ever did. And then number three, notice this. He addressed his needs and the other people in his life. Here's where what his friends in the house tried to do earlier came back and he acknowledged it. Look at this. Then, after he went into the house of the Lord and worship, verse 20, then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. You know, at first when I read that, I thought, you know, here's David the king. He walks into this huge dining room with his 84-foot-long table, and he's sitting down at the end all by himself with this little bitty place setting down there, and this huge table, and all these servants are bringing him food, and he's sitting there eating by himself. Do you really think that's what he was doing? 
No. He ate with them. Notice what the Bible says. Go back up when they were trying to comfort him in verse 17. The elders of the household stood beside him to get him up, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. David, come on into the dining room. We're all here ready to eat. You need to come eat. Come on, eat with the family. You know what David did? David got over the grieving. He adjusted himself. He went to the Lord and acknowledged the Lord and said, I need you. And then he went back to the people who needed him in their life. Do you know that when you and I crawl into this pity party hole of ours and we grieve and we don't, well, nobody touches and we're feeling sorry for ourselves, do you know we don't just hurt ourselves? Do you know there are other people that love you and depend on you? And when you and I don't act the way we're supposed to and we don't engage in their lives the way we're supposed to, do you know we hurt them too? I can give you a perfect example. When my wife gets sick, our whole house falls apart. She needs to get well quick. When my wife sorrows and is hurting and can't engage with us, man, it ruins our whole household. It's a part of the process. She needs to be able to go through that. But, man, I need that to get over quick. I need her. When Mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. So when Mama's grieving, the whole house is grieving. She's grieving over a loss. We're grieving over a loss, too. We lost Mama. We need her. Do you know what? There are people that love you. There are people that need you. You and I can't afford to crawl into this hole of self-pity and just stay there the rest of our life. Dude, do you realize it happens to everybody? We all hurt. We all go through those things. But we read when we started today, part of the reason is so we can go help others. How am I going to help somebody else if I'm still in this hole of self-pity over here feeling sorry for myself? Now, you do need to allow yourself time to grieve. You have to have that. But there has to come to a point where you accept it and you move on and you let God use you. So, David accepted it. Now, here's the adjustment, and we're going to stop here. Look at verse number 24. Um, Actually, look at verse 21. Let's start here. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? Have you lost your mind? What's wrong with you? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child's dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Here's the point. When we lose something or someone that we love, If there's something I can do to get it back, by all means, stop feeling sorry for yourself and go do it. Go get it back. But when somebody we love dies, can we bring them back again? No. And all the self-pity in the world ain't going to bring them back. All the bitterness and the anger in the world over why or what happened is not going to bring them back. It can ruin my life. But it's not going to bring them back. And by the way, if they could come back and talk to me, they wouldn't want me to do that anyway. Why can I face this without that bitterness? Look what David said. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. 
My brother died when I was 13 years old. It's been almost 40 years ago. He ain't coming back. But you can bet your boots one day I'm going to him. My mom and dad have been gone. My dad almost 10 years. He ain't coming back. But I am going to him one day. That's the difference because we're believers. We're going there one day. They're not coming back, but we're going there. And until it's time for us to go there, God has a plan for our life. He's got something He wants us to do. And we need to engage in that. And use what we learn from that to help others. Do you know what I've done for the last 30 minutes? I've used the losses and the grievances that I have gone through in my past to help you. To teach you something. I've used them as illustrations. That's what you need to do. God's given them to you. Use them to help people. So... David's comfort. His comfort came, by the way, from four things. Let me give you these real quick. We won't read the verses. They're here for you. Number one, Psalm 31, 24 says, ultimately, our comfort comes from God. Four things God uses. Number one, His Word. Psalm 119, verse 28 says that He comforts us with His Word. By the way, if you're ever going through a sorrowing time, go to the book of Psalms and just start reading. Man, that is the most comforting book there is. Read the book of Psalms. Number two, it comes from people. In 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 7, Paul said, We were comforted when you sent Titus to us. God sends people into our lives to help us and encourage us. Number three, we're comforted because we have hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, actually verses 13 through 18, but verses 15 through 18 talk about our hope of being with Christ. And in verse 18, the Bible says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Because we have hope. And then finally, number four, God's purpose for our life. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 and 39, Jesus is praying. He says, I'm sorrowful even unto the point of death. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I'm not here to do my will, but yours. I have a purpose, and that's what I need to focus on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or 2 Corinthians actually, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul talks about our purpose. You know, he went through all kinds of problems, but he focused on the purpose for which God gave him. So let me ask you something. What is your purpose? Why has God put you here? Who is it God wants you to help? Focus on that. I can't afford to crawl back in that self-pity hole over here because i got people God wants to use me to help. And if I don't go do what I'm supposed to do, they're not going to get help. And you have people just like that in your life. There are people God's going to use you to encourage and reach that nobody else will ever be able to reach. That's why he's put them in your life. Look at these situations, as painful as they are, as an opportunity to help somebody. And then finally, not only do we get comfort during the adjustment time, but we've got to continue with life. Let me close with this. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get in our groups for just a few minutes so we can have some prayer time together. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 51, 15, 51 through 58 says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. 
And this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 57. We have the hope of the resurrection. But that's not where the chapter ends. There's one more verse. Verse 58. Therefore, because I have this hope, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're going to go through difficulty. You're going to have problems. You're going to have sorrow. We've got the resurrection coming. We're not going to have to go through this kind of stuff forever. However, until the resurrection comes, don't quit. Focus and continue on in life. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What God put us here to do. Because we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. As long as you and I are breathing, God's got something He wants us to do. And we can't afford for self-pity to keep us from doing it. So, grief. It's a certainty, like Billy Graham said. And there is a process we must go through. And we have to allow ourselves to go through the sorrowing process. But make sure that that process eventually has an end. Where we accept what God has done. Realize there's a purpose for it, and then adjust and go on with life. And use what we learned as a tool to help other people. Father, thank you for allowing us to serve you. And Lord, even though we don't like going through these times of grief and sorrow, give us courage and strength to understand that it's part of your plan for our life. And help us to learn what you want us to, so that we can be used by you to help others. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and.